This is your Field is Our Office. I'm field agronomist for South Central Minnesota, Jay Zielski, and with me is my co-host and neighboring agronomist to the east, field agronomist Ashley Story. Good morning, Ashley. Jay, good morning. So we, we talked briefly before we hit record here, and I, I wanted to learn more about Jay's adventures over the weekend. He said, well, hold on, just wait. So now I finally get to ask, Jay, tell us about the, the Iron Horse competition, maybe what, what the Iron Horse is and, and how you're doing. So I'll yeah quick fill everybody in. So uh, yeah, I am. Um, uh, last four years, I've gone out to Durango, Colorado, for a bicycle race uh, up and across the mountains from Durango to Silverton, Colorado. And uh, before anybody's too impressed, uh, I, I I race, but I'm not a racer. So I, I participate. So I wouldn't say I'm particularly fast. Um, but it was actually a glorious day out in Durango, Colorado. Uh, nice and sunny, and uh, no snow. Uh, actually very little snow on the mountain. So uh, had, had a great time out there and came back and more of probably greater interest to our listeners might be, okay, what did you see as far as uh, windshield scouting on the way out? So of course my, my route took me across uh, Northwest Iowa, across Nebraska into Eastern Colorado. And I think one of the things that surprised me, and again, this is buzzing along I-80 um, and I-76 at, you know, just under 80 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, it, what surprised me the most is I didn't see that the crops were actually that much further along than what we see around here. Uh, now, a uh, vast majority of those acres were, were planted. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's one thing that maybe we can't say everywhere here. But otherwise, uh, crop staging, if we would compare, say, that early window of planting this year, uh, in our area, so that May 6, 7 planting date to what I saw there for staging of corn and beans, uh, fairly, fairly similar. So I, I was kind of surprised at, at that, but again, a higher percentage of acres um, planted. I think one of the things I noticed as well, an awful lot of wind, uh, <laughs> probably some sandblasting, and I believe in portions of Nebraska, maybe the crop wasn't as impressive through uh, uh, central and, and western Nebraska because I think they had a frost uh, two weeks ago, uh, if I'm remembering mm -hmm. right, and so that may kind of reset things there just uh, just a little bit, Ashley. Mm -hmm. But um, enough about me. Um, quickly before we move on, uh, tell me about the update with you and your boys and your outdoor challenge as far as how many hours a week or day you're supposed to be outside and how that's coming along, Ashley. Yeah. You know, if every month was like May, we would achieve our thousand hours outside just fine. We have 111 hours so far in the month of May, which puts us to a 200 hour total for the year. So we're doing okay. We went camping on Friday in the yard, um, <laughs> just as a practice run. So we were able to generate some more hours there and strolling around a lot outside. We were walking around the home farm last night with the kids. And so just a little, little, very small picture update, but we have beans, um, outside on the home farm here planted May 15th. Those were at the, um, unifoliate stage. And then our uh, May 9th corn here at the home farm is at V3. So we are cooking right along, um, but having a great time with the outdoor challenge. It's, it's going great. Thanks, Jay. Well, cool. well, I'm glad to hear that, Ashley. And I saw you also helped the boys with some weed ideas as far as woolly cupgrass last week. So you followed up on my agronomy update and it was kind of neat that you're able to show some boy, the boys some uh, woolly cupgrass. So, um, well, Ashley, before we move on to today's guest and talk some about the E3 enlist production system, just thought I would give a quick growing degree update 
uh, for the area. And so we're tracking locations of uh, Albert Lee, Faribault, Glencoe, uh, Mankato and Rochester, Minnesota. And, you know, it's interesting. There isn't a whole huge range there. Uh, Mankato takes first place with a total of 297 heat units accumulated since the 7th of May. Um, and uh, Glencoe is uh, pulling up the rear at 267. So there's like about a 30 GDO difference. So it's not like maybe a really huge difference. I think one of the things that's interesting, if you would compare that to normal heat unit accumulations, in that same time frame, it surprised a lot of people. We're actually about 20 to 30 GDUs ahead of normal. But you know, the thing is that that's a bit of a moving target because of the fact that uh, we've had such a wide planting window uh, this year. And I think one of the things to remind farmers of is they're tracking GDUs. In one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about the facet that we get into May planting. Then, you know, uh, corn doesn't require quite as many heat units as it would with an earlier planting date. So um, something to keep in mind. And, and I think for me, early in the season, GDU accumulations are interesting to track. Once we get to the reproductive stages, I kind of discard GDUs, so to speak, and I look at how is the crop progressing uh, through the summer. And so uh, it's going to continue to be a very interesting year this year uh, as we track growth and development relative to GDUs and historical GDUs, Ashley. But I think one of the things that, that I've heard from my colleagues and farmers is that, um, gosh, uh, you know, we are where we're at for GDUs. We have had some delayed planting in corn. One thing we're definitely seeing is, is the weeds are really taken off with adequate precipitation and the heat units that we have been receiving. We're seeing a lot of weed growth, especially in some of these fields where maybe we didn't have a pre-emerge herbicide uh, laid down, whether it be uh, corn or soybeans. In some cases, I think this year in the rush to get the crop in, perhaps uh, e e people either didn't get that pre-on or the, uh, things got away from just a little bit. And so we're maybe seeing a little bit stronger early season weed pressure. And, you know, today's focus is going to be on Enlist and the E3 production system because those post-herbicide applications and soybeans will be taking place soon here. Um, but I think, again, a reminder on corn, I know guys can't be everywhere at once, but, you know, ideally we'll want to remove that weed pressure from corn before those weeds get taller than about three inches. You get to that point in time, they're already starting to take some yields. So it's easy for me to talk smart like that because I'm the agronomist with a podcast. I know it's harder for guys that are trying to juggle those herbicide applications along with planting activities as, as well. But uh, just kind of that, that key reminder. But it uh, seems like I've been monopolizing an awful lot of the time, Ashley. Maybe I'll turn it over to you and you can introduce uh, today's guest and we can have a good conversation about... Uh, uh, tips for success and best practices with the E3 and less production system. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Jay. We thought this was perfect timing to bring on one of our counterparts in the, the crop protection space. Um, and with us today is Jim Harriman a, with Corteva Crop Protection. And Jim has been with Corteva for eight years now. Um, Jim, can you give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself, the geography you cover? Yes, Ashley. Um, yep, Jim Herman here. Uh, I cover South Central Minnesota, but uh, kind of got clear from uh, Albert Lee out to Worthington, uh, kind of north of Sleepy Eye Nicolet, a little bit up on the 14 corridor there, and everything in between down to the Iowa border. So, um, see, see a wide variety of different things. Um, 
in, in those endeavors out there, but uh, that's, that's kind of my geography in a nutshell. And Jim, you, you managed a co-op before joining Corteva um, and, and you originally, you were raised in Waterville. Um, can you help me with where Waterville is? Yep. So, yep. Born and raised in Waterville, still live here with, uh, with my family and uh, Waterville is about halfway between Mankato and Faribault, right on Highway 60. Okay, perfect. Well, brings a lot of experience to the, to the role. So we really appreciate Jim and appreciate him spending some time with us today. Um, and like Jay mentioned, your focus today is on Enlist and the Enlist system. And Jim, you've seen it, the, the growth in the Enlist system has been phenomenal the last few years. As we look just in our area, about a year ago, a third of our, our soybean sales in the area were made up of Enlist. And now when we look at this year, what's in the ground, it's well over 80% Enlist versus for us, our other platforms would be no extend, straight roundup, uh, straight liberty, our conventional, our plenishes. Um, but Enlist makes up the lion's share for us of our soybeans that are, are going into the ground or are in the ground this year. But with that change, that means there's a lot of farmers that are using Enlist for the first time this year. So it's really important for us to review best management practices, how to be successful with the Enlist program. Um, but just starting off, can you explain to us, Jim, the difference between Enlist One, Enlist Duo, and the appropriate rates for each product? Yep. Uh, so Enlist One is our straight goods 2,4-D choline. Uh, so that is our the, the new formulation of 2,4-D, where, so it's less volatile. You won't notice any odor or anything like that coming from Enlist 1. And then Enlist Duo is the premix uh, of both the 2,4-D and also glyphosate. So depending on your retailer, you're going to see some of both uh, out in the countryside this year, just kind of with supply shortages and different things there. But uh, Enlist 1, our go-to rate is going to be two pints. Uh, and that's going to be your full rate of 2,4-D in there at two pints. And Enlist Duo, the full rate on that is 4.75 pints. And that's going to be, you know, getting the two pints of the 2,4-D choline. And also, you know, think about it as a, a full rate of glyphosate uh, in there as well at that 4.75 pints. Okay, perfect. And, and for our purposes out in the countryside, would we expect to see more Enlist One or Enlist Duo? Um, I'll say it's going to be all over the board. Um, I'll say a year ago, we saw pretty much all Enlist One in the countryside, uh, just with some of the glyphosate shortages. There is some more duo, uh, depending on retailers. Some retailers even have both. Uh, so be prepared just to, uh, you know, even maybe what uh, a retailer sold you um, in the wintertime and, and what the supply is actually um, here as we get going might be two different things. Um, but primarily in list one, I'll say is probably our biggest product. Um, uh, but there is some retailers that are doing a fair amount of enlist duo as well, if they can get their hands on it. Okay, perfect. So now that we've got the crop in the ground, spring is, is coming upon us quickly. Um, and I say that, you know, we got the crop in the ground for the most part. I know there's areas that are, are wet and, and remain to be planting. And, and we're thinking about those guys. Um, but as we're, we're transitioning our focus to spring, can you review for our listeners keys to success with the, the Enlist system overall? Um, and, and maybe maybe start with nozzle selection. Yeah, uh, when it comes to the Enlist side of things, I mean, we do have certain nozzle requirements, but I'll say for the most part, uh, if you look on the website, there's a 
140 some plus nozzles approved to be used with Enlist. So in general, I'll say if you've got a nozzle body on the end of your sprayer, you probably already have an approved tip. Uh, so there's a lot of them out there. But my personal favorite uh, is going to be either the AI or the AIXR, you know, kind of for two reasons. Uh, it's a very good, well-rounded tip that you can do a lot of your post applications, whether in corn and beans. Uh, the only thing I'll really say you maybe wouldn't want that tip for is going to be into the bugs in the fungicide world. So, and and they're, they're pretty inexpensive uh, when it comes to being able to pick those up uh, wherever you get your parts at. Uh, the, both the, the AI and the AIXR from T-Jet are, are pretty common uh, and pretty inexpensive. And if you're curious about tips, there's a lot of other brands. I reference T-Jet for the most part just because those are the most commonly used. But if you're looking onto the website, uh, we've also even color coordinated them on there that uh, you can see that green is better and yellow is approved, but maybe not the best for the application and the actual performance of your app of your spring. Oh, perfect. So then as we, as we move on, we've got the right nozzle. Um, we're getting ready to spray for the year. Can you talk to us about, um, you know, best practices for timing, um, and then amount of amount of water that you'd like to see in the application and, um, in any limitations with the system in terms of weather conditions, on um, borders to keep in mind, um, just kind of best practices in general. Yeah, just in general, uh, I'll say that the biggest thing that I see within list is people treating it as though it's dicamba. Uh, we get a little scared from droplet size and pressures and things that way. So that to me is the biggest thing that I think we need to overcome when we look at enlist is, yep, make sure we're going to the right nozzle. We actually recommend having people in the, the upper part of the pressure ranges um, just to make sure that we're getting that coverage on those weeds, like the target four inches or smaller. Um, definitely know in cases that that might not be, you know, the, the ideal scenario in certain certain weather conditions and stuff like that. But uh, also, I'll always be the, the guy that says the cheapest thing we put in the tank is the water, that uh, I, I recommend making sure we're spraying at least 15 gallons an acre within list. We've kind of gone to that uh, anyway from a performance side. So I definitely encourage guys to keep that water volume up there to get that coverage with the Enlist system as well. Perfect. So you you mentioned on um, you know one of one of the challenges is if a, an applicator is is treating the product like dicamba and and using a, a tip that's having a, a more coarse droplet, um, whereas we were able to use spray tips that can give us a finer droplet and more coverage. Um, would you say that's one of the most common application mistakes? And, and what other common mistakes do you see? Yeah, I would say that's probably the, the most common out of the gate, Ashley, when you look at um, is the spray tip. I mean, that's something that, you know, most guys, hey, I got a new set of tips for dicamba. Uh, I've even heard some implement dealers tell some guys, hey, no, uh, the, the, the tip you had for dicamba is approved within list. And uh, so that's something that I'll, I'll say, you know, let's make sure we're, we're starting right right out of the gate with uh, with our tip because everything we do after that um, is only going to be a part of the part of the solution perfect and you mentioned weed height so we we know we we like to have those weeds sprayed when they're four inches or smaller um in the case that they get away from us you know for one reason or another 
um, particularly with, with difficult weeds like water hemp, um, what would be your recommendation to a, a customer using the Enlist program with a, a, a water hemp issue um, four inches and above? Yeah, when we look at, um, you know, as weeds start to maybe get a little bit big for us and things like that, um, there's a few things that I'll say, you know, are key. And, and I think no matter what, when we're spraying an Enlist product, you know, if it's not Enlist Duo, make sure we're putting in a tank mix partner uh, like a glyphosate or, or a glufosinate, like a Liberty, um, just to make sure that we have multiple modes of action out there trying to, trying to kill those big water hemp versus relying just on one. The other part that I'll say, you know, I've said it again, coverage is king that when we make sure we're, we're getting as much product onto those bigger, those bigger weeds as we can. And the other piece that I'll say, you know, again, what can we do to make our spray work better. Uh, so we've had some pretty good growing conditions this year, but if we rewind to what we've seen last year, uh, we, had, we had some heat, uh, some things I think started to harden off a little bit. So making sure we're putting the right adjuvants in the tank, like uh, you know a COC or an MSO, just to kind of heat that mix up and uh, be able to get more of our spray into that plant and get through that cuticle. So Jim, as we, uh... As we, we look at those additives, so you, you recommend the addition of the crop oil concentrate or the MSL. Uh, tell us when oh, we're going to add uh, AMS to the uh, to the tank as well. It's it's one of the advantages I see, at least as far as weed control, is the ability to add that AMS uh, with Enlist, which you can't use uh, AMS with uh, those dicamba applications on the extend beans. So let's talk a little bit about that AMS. Absolutely, Jay. Um, I'll always say I, I like to see a couple pounds of AMS in the tank uh, with, with Enlist, no matter what uh, kind of application that we're doing. I just think it's going, you know, we deal with some, some crazy water hardnesses and things like that as we start to pull from wells and uh, different water sources out in the countryside. So a couple pounds of AMS is, is always going to help. Uh, it's never going to hinder us in those cases to make sure that uh, um, we're doing the best thing, but anytime we're putting a glyphosate in, definitely need to make sure we have AMS. If we're putting a, a, a glufosinate Liberty type product in there, we, we want to make sure that we're up in that rate, um, you know, minimum of three, some guys will even say four uh, pounds of AMS. And there's also a lot of other water conditioning agents out there as well that contain AMS. So, um, you know, just make sure that, you know, what product you're using, you're getting the right rate and making sure that, um, you know, some of them are on a, on a capacity that uh, you're doing it on a so much per hundred gallons of water solution, that kind of thing too. So just make sure you're doing your right conversions. Um, don't hesitate to ask somebody, ask your retailer who you're getting your, getting your product from, you know, hey, here's what my rate is. Uh, are we good to go there? So. That sounds good, Jim. And and before we get into, I want to talk in just a minute here about uh, uh, application window and such as far as growth stage on on soybeans. But before I do that, just one last thing as far as weed height. So, uh, and, and again, you know, we don't want to give people license to to spray weeds that are bigger than we would prefer. But the reality is, we're going to come into some difficult situations this year uh, with wet field conditions and such. You know, we've got some water hemp that's pushing well beyond four inches and you say, okay, um, you know, should I 
should I add Liberty? Should I goose up my glyphosate? You know, which is going to be your preference as far as trying to take down some bigger water hemp? Absolutely. Um, when, when we start to deal with some challenging conditions, uh, I know availability this year could be tight, but I will always recommend uh, going with a Liberty of glufosinate. Just making sure that we have two modes of action going out there that are going to be effective. I, I sometimes question on the glyphosate side of, you know, hey, we can put more out there, but if we know they're resistant, uh, you know, resistance is resistance, uh, whether it be at 30 ounces or 40 ounces, that we're still going to see probably the same outcome. So, yeah, if we get into some, uh, you know, rescue type uh, situations, things like that, I will always recommend um, going with the glufosinate as a Liberty product just to make sure that we have the the best solution out there that we can to, to clean up that, uh, that field that may, maybe got away from us. Good answer, Jim. That's what I was hoping you would, <laughs> was what I was hoping you would say. And I think, you know, the thing is this year and, and you're right. So availability of Liberty is, it has maybe been a little bit tight in such situations. It's a little more expensive than it has been other years as well. And, and I think it's important that, that, that our, our, our listeners overcome that hurdle as far as that expense because if you have some big weeds and they get away from you they're going to cost you a heck of a lot in yield in a hurry of a very high value crop this year all of a sudden when we we've got beans in the teens uh you know not that we want to get reckless as far as how much they spend uh throwing at the crop but i think we really need to get that weed control so appreciate that answer jim and i think one of the things that we see in, in a lot of our uh, customers are telling us is that one of the advantages they see with that E3 production system is that there's no calendar cutoff on application timing here in Minnesota compared to uh, the Dicamba system where, you know, June 12 is, is the cutoff. So tell uh, our, our listeners, okay, what is uh, our labeled recommendation as far as growth stage on, on soybeans as far as making those applications? Yeah, so uh, our label did change on that front here this over the winter. Uh, so our label now reads through R1. So that's shortened up a little bit from what it was in years past of through R2. But still, uh, I think through R1 is through full flower, which is going to, for us, I'll say that first part of July is typically going to be when we, when we get into uh, the R2 stage. So definitely have a bigger window, uh, a lot of flexibility on that stand front. But that is something that, that changed. Um, over the course of the, the winter here, just with some other labelings uh, as well from the enlist side. But that is probably the biggest one that's going to affect uh, the growers out in the countryside. So I appreciate you clarifying that as well, Jim. I think sometimes it, it gets a little bit confusing with the farmers. It even gets confusing with agronomists. We throw these growth stages around all that all the time in, in that through R1, which really means through the end of R1, or as, as you mentioned, really the beginning of or up to R2 is when you see full flower, or uh, I had to make sure I looked this morning to clarify details uh, from how a soybean plant develops from Iowa State University. And you talk about on the upper two nodes of that soybean plant having fully developed uh, flowers on those upper nodes. And so uh, appreciate you clarifying that. And Ashley, you probably have, you're dying to ask Jim a few <laughs> questions here as well. So I'll turn it back over to you. Oh, thanks, Jay. Um, 
one of the on, on our, our questions that we had considered in advance, one of one of the questions was the use of a, a group 15 um, and, and what your recommendations are for that gym. And, and particularly as it applies to water hemp, we know in our area, that's one of our most challenging weeds. And, and one of the reasons uh, that it's so challenging is it, it continues to emerge well into the growing season after our typical timing of, of post herbicide application. So including some sort of residual is, is pretty important for the management of that weed in particular. So can you tell us a little bit on what your thoughts are for um, adding a group 15, um, optimum timing rates, um, any thoughts on that, Jim? Yeah, um, actually I will always say that adding in a layered residual product is always a good idea. And as you think about um, what we're doing in our soybean programs is we're putting down a, a very good pre as soon as we plant. Uh, typically the windows on those are you know, three to four weeks. And uh, as most of us know, we have a long time from that three to four weeks to get to canopy closure, uh, which some, some years we always wonder if they're ever gonna close. So being able to add in that layered residual is really kind of just starting that pre-window all over again. So always encourage guys to do that as we're going across the field. And the thing that I always look, about, look at um, right now is that they're still pretty economical. And something that I always kind of think about is, can we add something to that pass that is actually going to be cheaper than we can drive over it again? And in a lot of cases, adding in a layered residual product uh, is about the cost of an application, uh, sometimes maybe a little bit more depending on our rates. Uh, most common is probably a metulacor type of product uh, from Corteva. Ours is going to be ever pre-ex. Uh, another common product in that camp would probably be like a dual. So when you look at that, um, I always recommend running a pint, you know, pint and a quarter is gonna be on our top side. And as you're adding in those products, um, we, I talked about our adjuvant recommendations before, and I always kind of like to call those products a half rate of oil. So if we're adding in, you know, a gallon per hundred of a crop oil, you maybe only wanna add in a half a gallon per hundred because you're getting that other um, half, a, half rate of oil from those residual products, which are typically pretty oily products. And if you're adding in a layered residual product, I would encourage you to, you know, just be mindful. Uh, if we're spraying in some heat, uh, we may see that a little speckling or almost see that spray pattern on the leaves. It's something that I'll say, you know, it's going to depend on mother nature. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of it until last year. And you know, we sprayed a lot of beans last year in the 90s. And it's going to kind of make the, those beans get a little um, little, little tender, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna see that that those speckles show up there a little bit. Jim, and and when you're spraying a a group 15 in your post application, you can get some other crop response too, right? A little bit of a drawstring, um, uh, like a oh, it makes the leaf almost a heart shaped appearance. Um, have you have you seen that to be more exacerbated when we have like? higher temperatures, um, really good growing conditions. Yep, you're spot on on that, Ashley. When you when we see that, it, it typically is coming from, you know, one, good, good growing conditions um, that, that it's trying to push out as much tissue as possible and grow as fast as possible. And, and we're just kind of disrupting that, that pattern when we're putting on that group 15. Just anytime we spray anything onto a crop, uh, even though it may not hurt it, it's still got to process it out and metabolize it. And that's just something that you, you may see 
a lot of times it's just that snapshot in time. Uh, I'll say in, in a lot of cases with the group 15, you got to be out there kind of checking to see how your spraying did. Uh, otherwise, you, you're going to miss it. Um, that it's going to grow right through it and, and it isn't something that's going to be prolonged and be the gift that keeps on giving. It's going to maybe just be that that one snapshot or, uh, you know, a couple trifoliates and get, then it'll just get lost in the canopy. Perfect. And and that's something to, to make mention of just of, if you see that type of symptomology in your, in your soybeans, um, it, it might look like, a, um, a different, a different herbicide injury, maybe a, a dicamba injury. It can look a little bit similar. So make sure if you have a question about symptomology, um, you know, think about what that group 15 application might've done as well. Jay, what are your thoughts? Ashley, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think if you covered really well, I think, uh, you know, key thing is just, uh, group 15, uh, addition of group 15 products seems to me like that just, just becomes pretty much standard practice across the area. Cause it's, it's rare to have fields where tall water hemp isn't present. And especially with its, its, uh, you know, emergence pattern being kind of a, a later emerging weed. And, you know, I think there's a reason why they call it water hemp too. I think it thrives in wet conditions. So wet, warm conditions. And, you know, this year, I think with the later planting of soybeans, uh, we're not going to get as tall of plants. We're not going to have as early a canopy closure. And so it's going to make that even the addition of that group 15 herbicide even more important. And, you know, Dare I say, turning off any of our listeners, maybe in some cases, if a person has a cultivator around, they may need to go off this summer and try knock out some tall water hemp. I hope not. <laughs> um, but uh, folks need to keep that in mind as well. And, and so I think, you know, as, as I think about the enlist production system, you know, they, the last thing that I'm, I'm dying to uh, ask, Jim, is that, you know, every year volunteer corn tends to be a concern you know, most fields every year to a certain degree. You know, I think most people throw a corn killer in every year, some years more than others. And, you know, and it comes no surprise to most of our listeners that a number of places last fall, uh, there were some stock lodging concerns and probably a little more uh, ear loss and such in the field. So volunteer corns maybe going to even be a, a greater concern this year than other years. And what do people need to be aware of Jim, when they're tank mixing that corn killer along with in the list, what do they need to do? And I, my understanding is those same suggestions would apply even if they happen to be adding a volunteer corn killer, say with a, a dicamba application on their extend beans. What should they know about controlling volunteer corn when adding a corn killer uh, to part of a tank mix? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. It's it's a known uh, issue that I'll say we see with the enlist system. I think we are a little more vocal than we, some of other growth regulators, uh, whether it be a dicamba or we even know um, that even some Flexstar type products will, will antagonize a volunteer corn killer. And if we just think about those chemicals um, work really, really fast, um, where our volunteer corn killers are always kind of a slow um, so when we look at, at that, we're, we need to make sure that we're up in the rates. Us as Corteva will typically say we need to add a third of a rate to a volunteer corn product. And I'll say, in my opinion, I think depending on our corn height, we need to be somewhere in that eight to 16 ounces, depending on the product uh, and depending on the corn height. And, and again, uh, the biggest thing that if you look at those grass type products, they will always call for a COC or an MSO to help heat that up. So we need to make sure again that we're having having those products in the tank uh, 
will go a long ways in the, that performance as well. And, and again, going back to the, the 15 gallons an acre is also going to help with enlist as well as helping with that voluntary corn killer. The other thing that I'll say I've been seeing a lot of here in uh, 2022, again, with just some supply challenges, some pricing. Um, if we're gonna use the volunteer corn products uh, as our true grass control, maybe not be using a, a Liberty or a glyphosate out there, definitely wanna make sure that we're up on that high side of those, uh, especially depending on our grass species. You know, I'm gonna say typically we're gonna need to be that 12 to 16 ounces if you're looking at true grass control out of those products. Um, that is something that, you know, again, we haven't necessarily done in the past, uh, as also if you're using those as a true grass control, depending on, on, on your pressure situations, I would really think about maybe even making that a split application just from the standpoint of, you know, we should probably uh, get address the grass in, in that pass and then worry about the broadleafs maybe in, the, in another trip. So th that's just some things that I'll take uh, into consideration here for 2022. That has probably not been our norm over the last few years, but uh, with some of the challenges that we've seen uh, coming from supply, that is something that I've been hearing and getting a lot of questions on as well. It's good uh, practical information, Jim, I think, uh, considering some of the challenges this year. And so, uh, Ashley and, and Jim, there's been a real thorough discussion regarding Enlist and the E3 production system. You know, I always try to wrap up with three key takeaways, but I couldn't help myself. I actually got five. So leave it to an agronomist to keep talking <laughs> and make things even more complicated. But I think we also need to do the topic justice. And so uh, I start out with uh, uh, the, the the rates of, of, of products. And so, again, if we're looking at Enlist 1, that's straight goods. Uh, Enlist 240, so that's uh, 240 choline. That's two pints. If we're looking at Enlist Duo, that's 4.75 uh, pints, and that gives you a full rate of uh, glyphosate plus a full rate of the, uh, the Enlist. Uh, in addition to that, we started looking at nozzle selection. Uh, there's uh, a whole host of nozzles that a person can choose. I think one of the things that Jim led off with, said one of the most common mistakes is to assume that you can just use the same nozzle that you were using for those dicamba applications with the extend system. Okay, we we don't want to have a a coarse as coarse a spray. And so ideally, Jim talks about uh, the T jet, whether it be the AI or the AIXR nozzles, is is being a, a good choice. Kind of his favorite nozzle. There's others that that are on the recommended list, but if you're going to ask Jim for his favorite, he's going to tell you those are the nozzles that are his favorite. Uh, next key consideration is that carrier volume. Uh, you know, you're going to settle on, on a number. I think what Jim said is one of the cheapest ways to get better weed control is using that carrier volume. And that water's pretty darn cheap. And so uh, he talks about a carrier volume of 15 gallons uh, per acre. Uh, we talk about weed height, you know, optimum weed height, uh, being targeting weeds less than four inches tall. We know there's going to be some challenges this year where those weeds might get away from a person. And especially when we're talking with tall water hemp, we start getting some bigger water hemp, say we're pushing six inches or more. Gosh, adding that uh, liberty into the tank is really going to enhance the um, activity uh, on, on tall water hemp. And I, I know and understand that liberty is a little expensive this year, but we've got high value crops. So let's make sure we're not having any weed escapes. Soybean growth stage. We have the freedom to spray 
beyond calendar date. We're looking at the uh, soybean growth stage and that is up to that R2 growth stage. So that's full flower or when we have two fully exposed blossoms on the upper two nodes of the uh, soybean plant. And then wrapping things up, and I was keeping track, that's actually six points. But the sixth point being for a volunteer corn control, look at increasing the rate of your corn killer when you're tank mixing uh, within list. Um, you know, Jim talked about anywhere from a, a third to a, to a half rate, preferably probably going up to the additional a rate and a half. Uh, and uh, the importance stressing the uh, crop oil concentrate. And so I think those were the key things that, that, that I picked up. Uh, Jim, before we wrap things up, are there any final comments before you close out today's podcast? The, the one thing that I'll say is if you're having any questions from things that you maybe heard here today is don't ever hesitate to go to EnlistTankMix.com for more info uh, on nozzles, products that you can tank mix with Enlist. And uh, also there's some avenues to get to some other training modules and things that way if you so choose as well at EnlistTankMix.com. Well, thank you, Jim. And listeners, as we wrap this one up, you can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, my handle is at SeedZeek. And Ashley, where can they find you? At Ashley Storby. And the neat thing is, if you start following Ashley on, on Twitter, you also will see, I think uh, her, her son was collecting some eggs. Was, eggs. was that posted on Facebook or was that on Twitter I saw? Oh, so, I didn't make it to Twitter yet. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, Ashley is stepping up her Twitter game <laughs> as well. So uh, be sure that you're following Ashley on, on Twitter. And uh, be sure and join Ashley and me in two weeks. Our next episode, we will discuss strategies for in-season nitrogen applications. We will discuss uh, side dress and top dress nitrogen application timings, as well as the use of nitrogen stabilizers. Our guest will be Jeff Vetch of the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Wasika. So uh, thank you everyone for listening. This has been episode 12 of Your Field is Our Office. Until next time, be safe and stay healthy. 